This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm, I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. The show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great free stuff as well as drills, exercises, all that stuff that'll help you become more charismatic and confident and go after it in life by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you wanna know more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm Live programs here in LA, check out the Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got a lot of fundamentals like body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, dating, attraction, business networking, negotiation, relationship management, and all that stuff that most people overlook that you need to get to the top and get that edge in life. We've got our live programs and boot camps running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. Details at bootcamps.theartofcharm.com or give us a call here in the office, 888-413-7177, or you can even email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you guys all here in LA at The Art of Charm. Today we're talking with Dave Cornthwaite, he's an epic adventure traveler. He's kayaked a thousand miles around Scandinavia just recently. One day he woke up, he realized, my cat's gonna have a better day than me. So he shed the nine to five in favor of adventure. Eight years on, of course, he makes a professional living through adventure. He's doing something called Expedition 1000, 25 journeys of a thousand miles or more, each using a different form of non-motorized transport. He's super interesting, really positive guy. We're gonna talk about how to stop listening to everyone else, why adventure is important in life, turning fear into passion, Signs that you're not making the most of your time and how to listen to them, and of course, how to say yes more. So enjoy this one with Dave Cornthwaite. So how are you, Dave? I haven't spoken with you in a long time. Last we spoke, you were about to head off and like recreate some Viking journey or something like that. Yeah, I guess it was a modern day Viking journey. I was uh, in a pedal-powered kayak and I crossed Scandinavia from Oslo to Helsinki, but that's been and gone now, and I'm actually just two days out from my next journey, which is to be a world-first circumnavigation of Martinique by stand-up paddleboard. Let's back up a little bit, because as Americans, most of us have no idea where Oslo or Helsinki are, and even if they know they're in Scandinavia, they don't realize. How far is that? It's exactly 1,000 miles. And you were in a kayak? Yeah, I was in a 16-foot kayak, and... Uh, Spent quite a lot of those thousand miles on the coastline or crossing the Baltic Sea, so in open water. So when you're in a 16-foot kayak, and are you around, I mean, forgive my ignorance as well, but I'm also American, are you around like glaciers or is it all green this time of year or what? In fact, the summer in Scandinavia dragged on a little bit longer than it usually should. So uh, they have a very typical autumn or fall, everything turns red, but actually it was a big variation. So down the West Coast, there's just granite rocks. There's an 8,000 island archipelago called Boslan. Uh, so I, I picked my way through there, dodging all the currents coming in from the North Sea and then cross Sweden. They've got an amazing set of lakes and canals. And then once I got to Stockholm, I crossed over the Baltic and then it was really becoming autumnal. Uh, I got into the 
the green yellow islands of of Orland and Finland and finally made it to the coast just before the winter came in. Wow. And you're alone the whole time. I, I can't imagine there's too many other people kayaking or, or just around those areas at all. Of course, my stereotypical brain is thinking like caribou and penguins and polar bears or something. I'm maybe not quite that extreme, but there's probably not that many people. No, definitely not that many people, just the occasional fishermen. The summer season had ended, so not even really any kayaks or sailboats out. Um, definitely a few seals, a couple of whales, but on the whole, I was pretty much by myself, just rigging up my hammock between two trees on deserted islands for the best part of two months. That's insane. And do you have like a GoPro mounted to that thing? Or are you just kind of like, you know, it's all, you're, you're the only camera you need is in your brain. <laughs> no, I think, you know, every adventurer worth their salt has a GoPro these days. So I, yeah, I did have a couple attached. And I also carry a little drone with me. Uh, which was in a dry bag on the back of my kayak. So sometimes I just sent it up and got some epic panning views. But I, yeah, I film and document and share on social media all of these trips. Right, yeah, that, that would make sense because it would be really cool to be kayaking through like a, a crazy archipelago and people are like, gee, that looks really big. And then suddenly it's like, and the drone cam. And you just see <laughs> how infinitesimally small you are compared to what you're kayaking through. And that would be super rad. Yeah, and it really is. It's just incredible when you realize just how insignificant you are amongst these islands or the lake or the ocean or wherever you're traveling. It kind of just puts things in perspective. Sure, yeah, and, and it sounds like a cliche almost, but it literally puts things in perspective when you're flying a drone cam over, over yourself and, and over all that open water. That's, in, that's crazy. It, speaking of crazy, I would imagine a lot of people think that you are actually crazy. Because you do all this stuff all the time. And now you're surrounded by adventure athletes, so they're like, oh, that's amazing. But I can't imagine that when you first started doing this stuff, people were like, you know what, that's a great idea. People probably just try to discourage you often. Oh, yeah, totally. And it, and it still happens to a degree now. And, you know, although I do have a few friends who go off and do similar adventures, I, I still do kind of touch base with people who don't <laughs> on a regular basis. And, yeah, I, I get the crazy thing quite a lot. But actually, I'm probably the sanest person you'll ever talk to on this podcast because I've managed to turn travel, adventure, writing and filmmaking into my job. I'm totally freelance. I travel all over the world and get paid to do epic things. I think that's sane. Yeah, I think that's pretty sane. Or maybe you just have to be crazy enough to break out of the crazy bubble and now you're, you're back to, you've come full circle at this point. But it's funny because it is, you're so far outside of the normal human comfort zone that there's not a whole lot of competition, if you will, for what you're doing, because people have to be so far off the reservation that there's only a handful of people in the world that are probably doing anything like what you're doing. Well, I think, you know, the, the handful is definitely getting bigger. I mean, on, on, the, on the face of things, I'm not really a brilliant adventure athlete. I'm not an athlete of any kind, really. I just, I guess I've just got a strong yes muscle, and I like getting out there and doing new stuff. And you know, honestly, pretty much anybody who's listening to this could, could do any of the journeys that I've done if they really wanted to. I don't train for any of my stuff. I just jump in, take it slow. And whether it's skateboarding or swimming or pedal powered kayaking, uh, you know, it just takes a week or two of doing it day in, day out. And you get pretty good at it. However, however, your fitness or your previous levels of comfort. Sure. Although I would imagine kayaking a thousand miles is is not something that you should take on if you're not an experienced kayaker. 
I'm just going to throw that one out there. I, I would assume that's the case. Jordan, that's a very fine thing to say and totally agree with you. You don't, you don't want to be chucking yourself into big maelstroms and cauldrons of water coming in from the ocean um, all the time. But, you know, you take it slow. And there was once upon a time when I'd never been in a kayak either. So I think, you, you know, you, you tease the boundaries of your comfort zone with, with every new experience. And at some point you will be able to pretty much achieve anything. Sure, and and I want to get into more of this, but on this latest journey, was there did you get was there, was there a moment when you were like, wow, I almost just died right there, or or was it pretty zen because you're so experienced slash had a lot of good luck? Well, I think the great thing about being out in open water is it doesn't matter how experienced you are, you still feel the edge of your mortality quite often. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> so uh, you know. You never quite get superbly comfortable with the fact that you can't see land, even if you're just a mile away from it, because the waves are so big. So there, there were definitely a couple of moments where, if I'd lost my focus, then then that could have been it. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm a fairly cautious bloke. I don't like putting myself in harm's or potentially death's way as much as I can. So, yeah, I think you know it hasn't happened too much in in the last decade of adventure. How old are you, by the way? I'm 35. You're 35. God, you're so old, man. You're almost as, you're a year older than me. <laughs> Ugh, I hope I'm never 35. I, um, I hope you're still actually, not wearing a diaper, Jordan. Yeah, I hope. Actually, I hope I. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how did you get started in all this? I mean, were you one of those kids who was like born on a bungee cord? Well, I guess we all were born on a bungee cord. <laughs> were you kind of born on a skateboard or something like that? I mean, how did you get into all this craziness? No, I wasn't really. The saneness. Uh, I was, I, I basically just kind of followed society's path I went to school went to university and ended up doing a job that just utterly stole my soul I was one of the most miserable 25 year olds you would have ever met and I woke up on the morning of my 25th birthday and my cat was on my chest and I just realized you know what on paper I'm a totally successful western adult I've got a house I've got a well-paid job I've got a long-term partner and I've got a cat but the only one of those things that I really love is the cat and I looked <laughs> I looked into her big, big green eyes and just realized she was about to have a much better day than I was. <laughs> oh, man. I know. And I thought, you know, that's been the case for about three years. There's something really not right there. So at that moment, I started kind of taking new opportunities and sorting stuff out. And just just a, a year later, I was the first person to skate the length of Britain, having taken up a skateboard. And two weeks later, I quit my job and decided I'd go for the, the Guinness World Record on a skateboard. And uh, then I crossed Australia. So within two years of, of, of waking up with a cat on my chest, I, I got three world records and, uh, and my first book deal and never looked back. Wow. Okay. So you, you went in with both feet. Oh yeah, definitely. Big jump in the deep end. So you quit your job, you decided to try a skateboard and then you skated further than anyone else had ever skated ever. I mean, that seems like a drastic decision. I'm, you know... <laughs> I'm I'm hesitant to advise people to try similar things, but I also can't say not to. I mean, that's 4,500 miles that you did in eight months. Mm. And I mean, this is, you weren't like a lifelong skateboarder at this point. You just kind of tried it and then you're like, I could do this. And then you went across Australia. Like, like you, you say it like it's that easy. Yeah. But, I mean, you look back and it was a while ago now. So I guess I've got to compress everything that's happened into just a sentence. But there was a fairly simple decision i think the process of actually getting getting to the beginning of those skating journeys i uh, took a lot of work and i guess i made a lot of mistakes along the way but uh, the simple process of getting onto that board any type of skateboard for the first time in my life when i was i guess 25 and a half 
And then just realizing that this town that I'd lived in for six years was completely different to what I knew it as, uh, just because I was traveling around it in a different way, in a new way, I had a different perspective. And I just thought, man, I want to discover smooth roads and hills everywhere. Uh, you know, if, the, if I can rediscover my town, then I can rediscover the world. So the idea for a journey was born from that. And yeah, I guess that that only came together within two weeks. And then a few months later, off we went. Yeah, excellent. Okay, that's pretty cool. And so now you're doing something called Expedition 1000, which is 25 journeys of a thousand miles or more, each using a different form of non-motorized transport. And my imagination is pretty weak right now. Coffee <laughs> hasn't kicked in. Kayaking, skateboarding, I assume there's cycling in there somewhere. And now I'm coming up pretty dry on non-motorized <laughs> transport. Can you throw me, I mean, 25 journeys, I think I just hit three of them. What are the other 22? <laughs> well, you know what? I don't know. But I, I can absolutely assure you that, you know, the challenge isn't completing 25 of these journeys. It's actually picking just 25 from all of the different ways to travel without a motor out there. There are so many. You know, I've completed 11 so far. So, you know, imagine that I've traveled over 19,000 miles under my own steam, skateboard, kayak, tandem bike, stand-up paddleboard, sailboat swimming you know and the, oh, the list geez. goes on and on yeah swimming was horrible we can talk about that in a bit if you want but uh yeah i've got a list of another 80 on my website and as soon as you swam <laughs> you swam a thousand miles i don't mean to interrupt but that just sounds like the worst thing you could ever do yourself yeah it was pretty disgusting <laughs> okay <laughs> we'll get into that in a second but okay sorry there's 80 more on your website and people how do you select which ones to to do i uh, i don't plan too far in advance i mean the you have to put yourself... Yeah, because you might croak. There's no point. <laughs> right, totally. <laughs> you I might not make it. Right now. And, you know, <laughs> right. if you plan for two years, you know, a, a big old journey, so much is happening in two years' time. I might get to the beginning of that trip and think, man, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so having invested so much time, I might be forced into something uh, that I don't really find myself too keen on. Uh, but I, I think the great thing is, you know, every time you find yourself in a rut and you need to kind of form a ladder to climb out, making some kind of list, whether you call it a bucket list, a life list, a yes list, just get a piece of paper and write down loads of things that you want to do. And then as soon as you're feeling a little bit weak and depressed, just start ticking those items off. It's amazing because that, that list basically represents your passion, the best part of you. And, uh, you know, if you can live by that quite a lot, as I do with Expedition 1000, then, you know, it's amazing, you know, the first couple of steps you make, the doors that open afterwards. I mean, you know this better than anyone. Now back to the show. Yeah, that is that is very true. You know, and it's something that you, you can, sure, you, you can just jump in with both feet, but I think for a lot of us, like even myself, my foray into entrepreneurship with AJ and the Art of Charm team here, it was, according to sort of the layman or the regular guy, you're jumping in with both feet, but I still had some sort of measured risk. But I, it sounds like, honestly, if you're younger, the risk is never quite real, unless you have kids or something at a young age. But generally, you can just kind of get away with whatever, especially you know, looking at your message. Ordinary guys can live quite extraordinary lives. I'm a pretty ordinary guy, generally speaking. I'm not any kind of talented athlete or anything of the sort. It's just mostly a matter of the choices made and priorities and, and having th goals clearly defined 
that was actually helped by my inability to really fit in as a younger kid, I think, because I have less risk, right? And I think you kind of feel that too. You, when you were looking at, oh, well, I've got this great job, you weren't looking at that as, wow, these are really things to be admired. You kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, looked at those things as, this is boring, I don't want this. And I think a lot of us are conditioned to want that, and then when we get it, we're very unhappy, but we still look at it like we're trading something for something else, whereas I think you and I had talked about this before, we look at it more as shedding something that we never wanted in retrospect in favor of something that we're really excited about. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, we are definitely in, in modern Western society pushed into a life that we don't necessarily want. And it's it's quite natural for a young person to to find themselves in that position because, you know, they've got no life experience. They don't know what they want until they've experienced some stuff. Sadly, that does mean that quite often you end up at the bottom of, you know, a big slump and, and you have to climb your way out of it. And I, I think the biggest risk is just getting to the end of your life and looking back and thinking, man, I could have done more. Because, you know, you're in a position to avoid that right now. Every single decision that you make affects your future. And, you know, it's fine taking a few of these perceived risks. They might seem dangerous and foolhardy to a lot of people around you. But actually, you know, if you want to skateboard four and a half thousand miles, you get on your skateboard, you do it for 10 hours a day, you have a good feed, you sleep, you wake up in the morning, you put your bag on your back, you get on your skateboard and you do it again. And all you need to do is repeat that for 156 days and you make it across Australia. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> That's it? Really. Oh, man. <laughs> That's all. Uh, I, yeah, it sounds so simple when you put it like that. Right. And it really is simple. I mean, you, you've got that choice. Every every choice you make has a compromise, you know, and you choose whether to get up in the morning, go and do a job that makes you sick to your back teeth, come home, you're so tired, you can barely do anything. And then you go to bed again, you wake up the next morning and repeat again and again and again. <laughs> How many people do that for way more than 156 days? Yeah, that's a, a really good point everybody's doing it. It's just a way less fun grind, right? Right, totally. Give me the blisters, man. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when you reframe it like that, people are like, oh, hold on, let me get out my skateboard. Right. I mean, <laughs> most of us just squash into our couches, play endless PlayStation, do whatever we're supposed to do, like you and I had discussed before, because that's what makes society work. And you and I have both been there. It is easy because that trail is well-worn. And it's very miserable, but also it's, there's been preemptive strikes on how miserable it is from everybody's parents growing up. I mean, even my dad, as hard of a worker as he was, was like, you know what? Sometimes you gotta put in the work, you gotta put in the work, you gotta put in the work. And that was very true for his generation. Um, yeah, he could have started his own business, but most people in Metro Detroit didn't. The auto industry was a great path to go down. Even he was pioneering, because he was the first in his family to go to college, and then he got this job, and he was always working hard, so he got promoted. That was different thinking and work really hard and don't cry so much was great advice for 1960, 1970, and even 1980. But looking forward, it doesn't fit anymore. And it, you know, it took, took a long time for him to realize that I was onto something, but, but I think now he gets it as well. And a lot of us, unfortunately, we're really good at rationalizing, right? So we look at our current situation and go, yeah, but I have to work hard. I have this and I have that, and I've worked really hard to get here, and there's sunk cost. And you know, we really look at where we are now and we try to figure out how it's right instead of trying to figure out how to fix it. I, I do agree, but you say we're really good at rationalizing. I, I actually think we're really bad at rationalizing uh, because we use it in the wrong way. You know, I, I think majority of people, 90, 95% of people do do this stuff that, as you said, makes society work. But 
looking around, society doesn't work. No, that's a good point. You know, just check out Ferguson right now. You know, what does that really mean? Uh, I think, you know, we're getting to the point where overpopulation is really placing a great pressure on the society that we've created and that we've become used to. And, and actually, things like playing PlayStation, I played PlayStation 12 hours a day for, for about three or four years at the beginning of my 20s. And I woke up after every single session just realizing that I'd literally been living in a virtual world. And it's ever so easy to do that, PlayStation or not, these days. If you're, if you're not that connected to nature, you're surrounded by man-made stuff, you may as well just be a character in a computer game. That's a great point. Yeah, you're right. It's all repetitive. It's like Mario jumping up and down and getting coins out of the brick, right? Yeah, Bashing his head point? against the brick. Have you ever just sat there looking at your spreadsheet, doing your monthly taxes or whatever, and thought, holy crap, I'm going to be dead in 90 years. What the f is the point in this, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> It's totally. absolutely amazing what we, what we feel ourselves drawn to spending our time doing. And uh, it's absolutely incredible. But the amazing thing is, I don't think there's anything wrong with working hard. I work more hours now than I ever did when I had a job. But I love my work. And it doesn't feel like work as a consequence. And that's the difference. I think you should work hard all of your life. If you don't, then you just get lazy. And comfort kills ambition more than anything else. So what's the point in not going through life and just trying new things, realizing your capacity in so many different areas? You don't have to master something. Although if you do, that's incredibly admirable, sticking in something for so long that you become better at it than almost anybody else who ever lived. But, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for, uh, for under hours working these days. I think there's a lot of people who don't quite work as many hours uh, as they should, and they've got a job. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I looked at something like the average American worker bee is productive for five hours a day, even though there's an eight-hour workday. And sure, one of those hours might be lunch or whatever, but w the other time is just wasted, you know, killed, wasted, etc. But I work probably 10 to 12 hours a day, and I skip lunch pretty much every day because I just want to get back to work. Yeah. Sometimes I'm so hungry I have to get something, so I'll go and eat, and I'll be checking email or talking on the phone with my girlfriend or another friend during lunch because that's kind of my break, and I want to stack it together. Uh, and of course, I do relax occasionally just because I need to, but hmm. it's pretty rare that during the day I'm like, oh, I, it's only 2.30, I can't wait till I'm done. I can't remember the last time I looked at the clock and went, how on earth do I still have more stuff to do today? I don't feel like it. It's pretty rare. Yeah, totally. And that that's because you're passionate about what you do. And I think my, my, my main message to the people who are listening to this podcast is, if you don't absolutely love your job, then stop doing it. You know, work out a way to stop as soon as you damn well can, because you might not be around in a year, you might not be around in five. And even if you are around in 20, 30, 40, time's too valuable, man. Don't waste it. So how do we stop listening to other people? Because a lot of people are going to listen to that message and they're going to be like, great. And they're going to make strides in the right direction. And then suddenly it's like their parents are on their case. Their girlfriend or boyfriend is on their case. Uh, their friends are like, hey, man, what are you doing? Their brother's like, hey, man, I need to take you out to dinner. I need to have a chat with you. What's this? What's this nonsense I heard from mom about you quitting your job? Are you out of your mind? The economy's terrible. Scarcity, scarcity, scarcity. Hmm. You're never going to make anything of yourself. Don't be an idiot. You know, dot, 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 go back to, the, go back to your cage. All right. So right? Look, look at everybody in the world who's made something themselves. They dealt with idiots who felt that fed them with that noise all the way through. I've had it. I'm sure you've had it. And, you know, 99% of the time when people are talking to you in that way, trying to stop you going at, getting out of the box, 
they're just talking to themselves because they wouldn't do it. That's all. They're just making themselves feel better. Nobody really cares how you spend your time. Nobody really cares that much. And actually, if they did care that much, they'd realize that it's really, really hard to even vocalize this feeling, this urge that you need to stop doing what you're doing, even though it's socially accepted. You've got the balls to go out and do that, say that out loud, you know, which is the first step always to actually going and doing it. If your friends can't recognize that, then they're not real friends. Yeah, that's true. I guess once you realize they're talking to themselves to reassure themselves, this this is the rationalization process that other people have sort of leaking onto you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's other people's rationalization juice just dripping onto your brain. Definitely. Get that visual. And just right? and everybody everybody's this in a position where they can be that negative noise, just heap the the false rationale onto their friends whenever they come up with something like this, or they can be the positive one. Because like it or not, if that person really is going to turn their life around and go and be passionate about something, they're going to do it whether you like it or not. So just be the one who pushes them forward a little faster, a little stronger, give them that support. You know, you can be the negative one or you can be the positive one. I sure know which one I prefer to be. Yeah, of course. Of course. I love that point. They're all, they're just talking to themselves. Yeah. It's so true, right? Because nobody's going to see your fears and go, oh, you know what? Here's a solution to that problem. Very few people are going to do that. They're only going to be able to speak from their own fear. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Once you go, you know what? I'm going to quit my job. I'll be fine. Obviously, you're not that scared. You just made the move. You just took the action. The guy who goes, whoa, 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 let me talk you out of this one. This <laughs> <Yeah>. is bad. <laughs> that's the guy that's scared, yeah. not not you. And he, right? he doesn't want to look bad either. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's totally where it comes from. <laughs> well, why is the adventure part important? What's the benefit to the adventure portion of this whole journey? So we were, you know, we discussed earlier this kind of uh, slow disconnection from nature that we get when we live in uh, an urbanized environment and you know most of our population in the western world is totally urbanized totally disconnected from nature has no concept of where our food comes from doesn't know where the water comes from that comes out of our taps or faucets doesn't know really what it feels like day in day out to have sweat and sun on their face doesn't know what it sounds like to I don't know, hear the wind coming through the canopy of a forest at nighttime. All of those things are so essential to uh, simple human resilience. And then at the other side of it, when you do find yourself living one of these virtual lives, even if now and then you get out into the hills, you spend most of your time in the city, then you kind of, I just don't know if it's possible to be totally happy if you're 100% honest with yourself. And I think this is why we live in such a materialistic world now, because when I was doing my PlayStation playing really bad graphic designing life, I was living in a town and I almost had to justify all the time that I'd spent earning that income doing something I didn't like by going out and buying loads of on-sale DVDs and computer games and shiny gadgets and all of this stuff. I was spending my money on stuff I really didn't need. And it was just short-term bursts of happiness. Every transaction I felt okay, but actually most of that stuff I never needed. And this is why adventure is important. You realize that you don't have to be one of these people who lives 80 years without needing to challenge themselves. And we can do that in this society. It's such a tragedy. But when you set yourself a goal and go for it and everything that you need to work, live or play, whether it's for just a week or a month or a year, you carry on your back or in your kayak or on your bicycle or however you're choosing to travel or do this adventure. Every single day you're pushing your capacity back. You 
learn to just be happy with what you've got. You learn to appreciate the, you know, those those days when the wind is in your face because you don't get to smell the roadkill as you go past it. You know, all right. of these things are so important. Being able to wake up knowing that everything that you need to survive for a long time is in your tent, that's amazing. The only way that I've managed to make a living out of this adventure career for the last 10 years, I went for five years spending barely anything because I'm carrying everything now for the last six and a half years. I haven't had my own home. So pretty much nine, 10 months a year, I'm, I'm on the move. I'm carrying everything that I need. But I'm also a professional guy. I've written a bunch of books. I, I give about 70 to 80 presentations a year around the world. And I still don't spend that much money because if I buy something, I have to carry it. So if I'm going to buy it, I damn well need it rather than just want it. Right. Yeah. It sort of takes the whole collect crap that you think is cool in a totally different direction because you would never get, I mean, I'm looking around my apartment right now and I'm pretty <laughs> minimalist. I'm, I'm very minimalist. I'm looking around my apartment right now and thinking, what if I had to carry that for a thousand right. miles? <laughs> Hell no. I mean, I'm looking at a bracelet that would be thrown away instantly and that thing probably weighs like three ounces, right? So imagine all the crap you have in your house. I've got a friend, I walked into his mom's house and they're like avid readers and she's this older lady who's got, she's like a designer. So a lot of stuff is form over function. And I go in there and there's these glass sculptures everywhere and books everywhere. All the walls are just all bookshelves. And it's kind of my worst nightmare because I'm just thinking, if you ever have to move, this is going to take you three months. <laughs> and the rest. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, I'm like, when did you read a book about teacups never you've never opened this book just admit it <laughs> have you ever um, tried to go to a, a south pacific island you know where the population and the culture is so so removed from our society that every question they ask makes us feel co totally stupid and you know trying to explain the concept of ornaments you know a china cat what does it do <laughs> you know it just, right. it just sits there just kind of gathering dust on on a shelf and they right. look at you like you are literally wasting away in front of them. It's quite, it's quite chastening. <laughs> I was at a store the other day, one of those like knickknack stores that sells stuff just for girls or whatever. And, you know, they have like socks and that's the most functional thing in the store. But everything else is like, look at this pretty metal thing that sits in a stand and you put the stand in the corner and like maybe eventually someone decides that they put their keys in there and that's what that's for forever. But it doesn't really do anything else other than, like you said, get dirty and like require cleaning. Yeah. And the whole store was full of little things like that. And I was walking out and I saw this girl who was like partly Native American or something. And she had that blue topaz. Is that what that's called or something like that? Or I couldn't tell you, Jordan. Yeah, some sort of <laughs> necklace. And, I, and I'm thinking there are people somewhere, like you said, one of those Pacific islands, right? That oh, the only possession type thing that they have that they wear aside from just straight clothing to cover private parts or whatever is that it's like a necklace and her male counterpart maybe has like an, a thing that goes through his ear or a bracelet or something, and that's it that's all they have mm. probably for their whole life you know and like girls are going around and guys are just as bad we just buy expensive things like electronics and other crap yeah. but we have ton hundreds thousands of items like this that just invade our consciousness. And so, of course, yeah, thinking about carrying it around, which if you ever move, you eventually have to do. One of the reasons I'm minimalist is because I've carried all this stuff out. And I have boxes of things that I don't even know what's in the box. 
which means I don't need it. Right. And they're all still packed in their upstairs in my apartment in San Francisco, <laughs> just wasting space. And I think that's so true. If you look at those things in your life, there's we have a lot of emotional things like that too, not to get too meta, but you have a lot of emotional baggage, I guess, for lack of a better word, that you can totally ditch. And once you have to start carrying around all your earthly possessions and put them in a dry bag on a kayak, I think it probably puts a lot of that in, into perspective as well. Oh, definitely. I think one of the, I read the other day that one of the fastest growing industries in the States is storage, which basically means that one of the fastest growing industries is totally based on people who have so much crap that they need to put in a room that they'll never see again. Isn't that incredible? I love that. But at the same time, like I can literally feel the scrotums of your audience shriveling up in fear yes. here. And, you know, you don't need to sell everything. You don't need to just live in a tent for the rest of your life. You're allowed to kind of reap the rewards of what you've earned and, you know, feel like you're living a good life. But don't forget to go out and have adventure. Don't forget to go out and, you know, with your mates and go kayaking and canoeing. And now and then, please do set yourself a bit of a challenge because you realize you're capable of so much more than even your current endeavorous life allows. I think adventure is a really important way just to realize who we are at any given time and also just to appreciate the good stuff that doesn't cost anything. Speaking of fear, how do we turn our fear into passion or is that even possible? Because a lot of people right now are like, yeah, I'm totally going to do this, except it's a little bit scary, right? <laughs> you know, everything's way more scary when you're thinking about it than when you're doing it. Fact, yes. That's all I can say. I, I'm a pretty cautious bloke. I didn't really like climbing trees as a kid just in case I fell out and broke my arm. And that hasn't changed. I'm terrified of heights, but I went and learned how to paraglide a little while ago. And yeah. I, I crap myself on a regular basis, but I'm so glad I did it because I'm less scared of heights now. And, you know, I was planning a stand at paddleboard the length of the Mississippi River in 2011. And I was scared about this huge bulk of water and the huge barges that go down this crazy stream and the alligators, you know, in Louisiana and Mississippi. But actually, when you're there, it's just part of the challenge. It's part of the fun just to deal with this stuff. And and even seeing a 14-foot gator surface just 10 meters away from you, you just realize, oh, actually, it's not Hollywood. There's not some crazy theme tune going on in the background that encourages the, the crocodile to attack. Actually, he doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm on a 14-foot yellow stand-up paddleboard. I've got red hair, so that scares him away. And life is fine. You pop out into the Gulf of Mexico and you think, gosh, all of those things that I was so scared about, which I know have stopped other people doing that trip. I'm so glad they didn't because I've just had the journey of a lifetime. You're damn lucky that alligator didn't want anything to do with you. I mean, I assume something like that could literally bite through the paddleboard and you along with it with minimal effort, right? Oh, yeah, sure it could. But why would it, you know? I don't know. I'm not an alligator. I don't want to get in the head of an alligator. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, you don't want to be that close to a to a big rogue crocodile, but an alligator is fairly passive. And oh, I didn't realize. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm still that guy that doesn't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. You have to go out and explore this. I'm okay with that ignorance, though. Every time something like that gets close to me, I'll assume it's the one that's not aggressive and man-eating. You'd mentioned leaving your job and feeling like I'm not making the most out of my time. What were some of the signs that you felt that you saw that you're not making the most of your time? And, and how can people listening right now feel, look for those same signs? Because of course, if you're just feeling them and they're in the back of your head or there's a little tingle in your belly or whatever it is, you might not listen to it for three years. But if you're looking for it, a lot of people listening are gonna go, I have that, I have that too. Oh my God, I'm not making the most of my time. How do we listen to those signs and spot them in the first place. It, 
it's a wicked question. It's absolutely perfect because, you know, until you start thinking about this stuff, uh, it's easy just to forget about it and just to carry on because life's busy. You know, it carries us away. But basically, if you wake up in the morning, let's say Monday morning, that's quite an important one. And you think, mm, I wish I didn't have to go to work today. Something needs to change. That's a big one. If you find yourself going out and spending so much money on stuff that just blocks up shelves and doesn't get any use, there's a sign. If you say to yourself, man, I'd love to paddleboard the Mississippi, but, 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 what are those buts? You know, ultimately, we're just totally instinctive creatures. You know when something's wrong. It doesn't matter whether you're thinking about it or not. You can feel it just deep down in your gut. You feel sweaty if you start to contemplate something other than the lifestyle you've created for yourself. But you can feel it. You just, you just know if you really need to make a change. Do you want to carry on doing this for the rest of your life? If not, well, then stop. Behave yourself. It's that simple. Fair. All right. Uh, what about saying yes more? I mean, on that same token, right? A lot of people are talking themselves out of things. And you'd mentioned even earlier, learning to say yes is one of the biggest things that changed your life. How, how do we program ourselves to take advantage of those opportunities? Well, as instinctive as we are, you know, we're equally habitual. And, you know, that means that we can get into negative habits just as well as positive. But as, as soon as you, you get used to accepting new opportunities, and the key is, you know, like I say, every time you make a decision, you make a compromise, every time you say yes, you have to say no to something. Um, so start to, you know, think a little bit more when someone asks you something. Is it going to take you out of your comfort zone? Is it going to take you away from the thing that you're doing and you really enjoy, let's say, PlayStation playing? But if someone says, come climbing with me or come surfing with me this weekend, are you getting used to saying no to that because you'd rather stay in and it's been a long, hard week and you prefer just to chill out on the, on the beanbag or the couch? Or do you actually think going out and spending some time with your mates climbing or surfing would enrich you? So as soon as, as, soon as I started kind of looking at life that way, uh, man, I lived in a town called Swansea in South Wales in the UK. And they have the best surfing beaches just around the corner in the UK. I didn't go once in six years. I was such a loser. And I really wish I had. Uh, so I think as soon as you, you, you become that person, the one that your friends ask because they know you're going to come along, suddenly things just happen. Um, and definitely if you're opening up doors for your own career, for your own new lifestyle, I mean, gosh, there's such a big world out there. And I, I would have had no idea what was there had I not said yes to the first big thing, getting on the skateboard, just trying that out. Uh, I'd probably put it off for quite a while because I didn't want to fall off. But when I finally got on it, it just changed my life. And it just takes a tiny little catalyst and off you go. Perfect. Well, do you have a bucket list or something like that? I mean, I know you've got your blog of your journeys and all that, but did you start off making a list of things that you might rather do rather than your cubicle job? Or, or how did you start to motivate yourself to making those yes decisions? You know, I think I did it a little bit backwards. And I think if anybody is in that situation where they feel like there could be something else out there, then making a bucket list is a really good start. But for me, I, I literally, I was just looking around and I went snowboarding and love that feeling of riding a board, just a simple transition of weight and your turn. It's like surfing on snow, hey? So I came back to the, the town that I was familiar with and there's no snow. So I, that's why I got the long skateboard. And then as soon as I had a focus, you know, I quit my job. I knew I wanted to skateboard a great distance. And the world record at the time was held by a Californian guy called Jack Smith. He'd skated over 3,000 miles across the country. 
I just needed to work out what to do. I, I'd never done any trip like that. So I, I had a small warm up and um, I worked out how to, you know, look after my feet, my blisters, how to eat just so I didn't collapse in a heap of just weakness and uh, pathetic ginger. And eventually, you know, you tick off all of the items on that list, which you need to tick off in order to set off on that trip. And then that focus is amazing. You know, giving yourself definitely this, there's something beautifully simple about a big geographical goal, whether it's source to sea of a river or A to B or, you know, from LA to San Diego down the coastline. Then that just gives you something great. And it's something that other people can relate to as well. I think, you know, deep down inside, we all want to travel. We all want to experience new things. And every time you do do something new, you grow, you develop as a person. And I think that's why travel is so important. Um, so I think for me, that big skateboard trip from Perth to Brisbane all the way across Australia, that just kept me going. That was my motivation. And as soon as I finished that trip, I needed I knew I needed to do more of that. I'd never felt so much passion and, and adrenaline and just I, I'd never been as good a person as I was when I had that goal. And I and I see it time and time again now. I spend so much time helping other people get to the first steps of their adventure, ensuring that they don't have to take that two years like I did to, to get to the, the first step. It doesn't have to be that way now. And um, it's probably the most rewarding thing that has come from that decision to get on a skateboard so many years ago just seeing hundreds of people each year go off and kind of find themselves and making their own eyes shine. That is awesome. I think that's a great wrap point. Is there anything that I haven't asked you? Of course, we're going to have your website, davecordenthwaite.com, because nobody can spell it. That's going to be linked up in the show notes. <laughs> By the way, you should find something simpler, just saying. Um, you know, like maybe Dave Dave's 1,000 miles or something like that. I mean, you know. If you, if you, if you go to Google and just type in Dave Corn then uh, I've set up an American link through to my website. Oh, because it's like everybody in the UK can spell Cornthwaite with a no problem, but Americans are like, corn what? Yeah, totally. It's, it's weird. There's a lot of Thwaites kicking around in the UK, so it's quite, it's quite familiar here. But on Facebook, the, the page is uh, Expedition1000, and on Twitter, I'm at Dave Corn. There's loads of links through, and I'm off on my next adventure on Friday, so you know, follow along, and I'm always taking people away with me for for these trips. I'm doing a, a little project on stand-up paddleboards at the moment. So, you know, if you're interested, drop us a line. Good. Thanks so much, man. We'll be sure to follow you on your next several thousand miles, and I'm sure plenty of listeners will do the same. And I really appreciate your time, man. Really great advice, and we're lucky to have you in civilization to record this with us. Every now and then. Good to speak to you, Jordan. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that one. Super interesting, right? Not just all woo-woo positivity, but really getting down to why it's important to break out of your shell and how to stop listening to the programming that you've got and the programming that everyone else has got, more importantly. You can find more from Dave, DaveCornthwaite.com or on his Facebook page, which we'll have linked up in the show notes. Show feedback and guest suggestions. As you know, it's a fanarchy. The show is run by you, and I rely on you to help me find the greatest guests for the Art of Charm podcast. So let me know if you've got someone, jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Dave on Twitter. We're gonna have his Twitter linked in the show notes and you can follow his adventures there as well. Live program bootcamp details, bootcamps.theartofcharm.com. Remember, two dots in there. And if you're listening to this but you're not subscribed, what the heck is wrong with you? We also have our iPhone and Android apps, theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. So go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. 
So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.